The Top of the Tower podcast is brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing. From high above Cayuga's waters, it's the Top of the Tower podcast from Fibush Media. I'm your host, Scott Fibush, and yes, I am uh, doing the podcast this week from the campus of Cornell University in beautiful, if still a little bit chilly, Ithaca, New York. I am here because I was invited uh, over the weekend to be the keynote speaker at the Cornell Media Guild's annual symposium for the staff of its media properties. This is an unusual station. It's an unusual student organization, and we'll be talking about that in just a moment. First, however, a reminder that we are coming up oh so quickly on the NAB show in Las Vegas. I will be there, of course. Uh, hopefully, uh, if you are there, we can get you on the podcast as well. We'll be bringing you a whole bunch of uh, interesting interviews from all of the interesting folks uh, who make the NAB show what it is every year. And, of course, as we have been doing for the past, I think, eight years, uh, the pre-NAB kickoff party on Sunday night. It is taking place uh, this year at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, uh, Midstrip in the city center property. Uh, and you can sign up at the Broadcasting Club Dot com. There is uh, a link right here on our face on our uh, podcast page uh, here on fibush.com. And, of course, you can also go to the Broadcasting Club Facebook page. We say every year it's going to be the biggest and best party yet, and then every year we make it that way. So hopefully you can join us, RSVP. You'll get an email the day of the party uh, that will give you the room number where we'll be located. And come enjoy some drinks and some food and some great company because anybody who is anybody in broadcasting makes it over to the party if they are in las vegas we hope to see you there if you can't make it early in the evening make it later in the evening we'll be around so on with uh, with the topic of today's show uh, it's an opportunity to hear from the next generation of radio people and i never say no to a chance to do that so when they asked me to be the keynote speaker here i was delighted to come down i'd been down here before a few years ago when uh, they dedicated their new studios and as i said at the top of the podcast this is a really interesting organization like so many of the ivy league schools uh the radio station here although it's run by students is not owned by the university it's owned by the cornell media guild uh, which is a nonprofit corporation that holds a commercial radio license for wvbr it's a class a station at 93.5 on the dial Stands for Voice of the Big Red, of course. Uh, it's been around since the 1940s uh, in various locations around Ithaca. Uh, it's been at its current home uh, just on the edge of campus in the college town area uh, for the last few years now. In addition to running the commercial FM radio station, the students at the Cornell Media Guild also run a uh, student streaming station called Cornell Radio. And they also run a record label, Electric Buffalo Records, uh, is also part of this organization here. Uh, and they run an annual seminar. This is the 14th year for the seminar, uh, in which they bring in alumni. And there are some illustrious alumni, as you'll hear uh, later in the podcast, uh, of this radio station. Uh, a guy named Keith Olbermann, for instance, who donated a lot of the money that made the current studios possible a few years ago. Uh, but just a lot of people who are out there working in, in various forms in and around the industry, a number of whom serve on the board and are very active and come back here, uh, in some cases, every March to take part in this symposium to have a chance to talk to the students about the state of the industry, about what it's like to go out into the world uh, and, and get started in the business. And when they invited me to do this, I had to think for a little bit about what it was that I wanted to say, because, of course, it's a very, very different business now from the one that I started out in 20-some years ago. 
And so I had to figure out how to set this up and how to explain to them why I care and why I hope they still care. So here's a little bit of what I had to say. Uh, if people want to hear the whole thing, by all means, let me know. I could uh, I could post the entire unedited talk as a uh, as a full length podcast. I won't bore you with all of it right now, though. Here are just a few excerpts, and then uh, we will hear from some students about their experiences here. And what I want to talk to you about today is not so much radio per se. I want to talk to you about magic, because this this industry, this business, this medium that we're in, has a long history of being magical. We are in an interesting time right now because we are coming up on the 100th anniversary of radio. Um, have, have any of you studied much on the student side here about the, the history of broadcasting, the history of the medium, a little bit? You're going to be hearing a lot about a year and a half from now, November of 2020. Uh, you're going to see a lot of mainstream media stories are going to say, it is the exact 100th anniversary of radio because on November 2nd, 1920, KDKA in Pittsburgh signed on. That's not completely true. KDKA was certainly an early radio station. There were a lot of innovations that came out of Westinghouse uh, in Pittsburgh. But the biggest innovation that Westinghouse and Pittsburgh really brought to the scene was that they had better PR people than anybody else. Promotions mattered then just as they matter now. They were the ones who turned radio from being something that was an experimental medium that was something that people who were interested in engineering played around with. You, know, you can go back as far, at least as 1909, and say this is something that was indisputably what we would recognize as a broadcast. Somebody sitting with a gramophone, playing music out into the air for anybody to listen to. There's a guy named Doc Harold out in California. You don't hear as much about him because he didn't have the PR behind him. Uh, there were experiments that were going on at the University of Wisconsin. There were experiments that were going on uh, Union College in Schenectady. There were experiments that were going on in Montreal at the Marconi Company before Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh was what really captured the nation's attention, and here's why. Because all of a sudden, for the first time in human history, you could hear somebody talking somewhere else. You could be out in a farm in the middle of Iowa, and you could turn on this box, and all of a sudden, you could hear a band that was playing at a nightclub in New York City. All of a sudden, you could hear the voice of the President of the United States of America, who most people have probably never actually heard before, unless they were you know, on a campaign stop or had traveled to a speech or something. The initial magic of radio for the first few years that it existed was that it just completely collapsed distance. All of a sudden, you could be where something else was happening, and we had never been able to do that before as human beings. So that was the first piece of it. There's another phase of radio that comes along about 50 years or so later uh, that is kind of where we are still today. And that is the magic of being able to share music and being able to have a personality on the air spinning records for people. And there's this am amazing heyday of, of personality music radio that starts in the 50s and really blossoms into the 60s and the 70s. Uh, the start of FM radio, and there's a whole long story that I could talk about for an hour uh, about how FM radio came to be in the 1930s uh, and the technology and a guy named Major Armstrong. If you don't know about Edwin Howard Armstrong, go read about Edwin Howard Armstrong sometime. Uh, there's a great book called Empire of the Air uh, and a Ken Burns documentary that is a little one-sided but still well worth checking out. Um, FM, unlike just about any other technology that we deal with, was really the brainchild of one guy. Uh, and kind of a tragic story in the end because he got into a fight 
with the head of RCA, and well, you can you can read about it. You'll learn about him. But FM radio comes along, late '60s, early '70s, and all of a sudden, here's this new medium that is talking specifically to younger people. All of a sudden, this is somewhere where you know it was then underground music had a place to thrive. This was you know one of the one of the great eras in the history of stations like WVBR. In being able to tap into that, all of a sudden people had FM radios. People wanted to hear album music. And all of a sudden, again, there was this new sense of magic in the air, this new community that had been created that you could tap into for just the cost of getting an FM radio and finding where these stations were and, and tuning them in, uh, not just VBR stations like WCMF in Rochester and uh, WBCN in Boston. And the, the list of calls is, is legendary there. There was magic. It was an amazing thing. People wanted to get into this business because it was just the coolest thing you could imagine doing. So where are we now? There is a sense, I think, that some of the magic has gone away in recent years. There is no question that radio is now a mature industry. Uh, if you talk to anybody on the Wall Street side of things, they'll tell you this is not some place that you go uh, if you are looking for financial growth these days. Uh, there is still plenty of revenue to be made in radio. There are still plenty of radio stations in big markets that are routinely drawing tens of millions of dollars in advertising radio every year, advertising revenue every year that are still completely healthy and completely successful. But that line has pretty much leveled off. The values of stations uh, has not just leveled off, but has gone down. There was a time... Uh, as recently as about 15 years ago when I was really getting active uh, in this business where if you had a major FM radio station in New York City, you could put that thing on the market for hundreds of millions of dollars. Nowadays, the most recent major FM radio stations that have sold in New York City, 40 million, give or take. Why has this happened? In part because the ownership, even on a local level, uh, has become much more corporate, and much more distant than it once was. So I think it's stifled some innovation in recent years. It certainly made it harder for radio to deal with some of the changes that have come along around it. So what are the changes that have come along around it? The biggest thing that has happened since I started writing about this stuff 25 years ago uh, is that this new, you guys, are, you guys are in a different generation from the one that I grew up in, in terms of your consumption of media. And you know, so I'm not telling you anything new. I'm 47 years old. I am the last generation that grew up in a time when media was still about scarcity. You know, it, it's interesting for me. My, my kids are 15 and 10, and I watch them growing up, and anything that they want is at their fingertips. I love it, too. You know, I was driving yesterday. I thought, oh, gee, this album I want. Oh, yeah, that's right. I loaded it on my phone, and I was listening to Van Morrison as I was speeding down I-88. It is so much easier to do now, but it has taken a little bit of the magic away because we no longer have the ability to say, hey, we are the sole place that you can hear this new album that's just come out. Uh, you know, we are the only place where the Beatles are going to be, where we're going to be playing the new Beatles single when it comes out. That was a big deal for radio. You guys will probably never be able to imagine what a big deal that was, that there was one place that you could hear that, and you had to be listening to that radio station right then because if you missed it, it wasn't going to be back for a little bit. You couldn't just grab it on demand. We live in this on-demand universe right now. It's a good thing, too. There is still a lot of magic in that out there because one of the things, of course, that has happened uh, 
is that it is so much easier for anybody to create that content now. I work in the public radio universe. I love working in the public radio universe because we are still the place on the broadcast side of things that there is still a tremendous amount of innovation, particularly in spoken word radio. Because public radio figured out pretty quickly that as podcasting grew, there was no reason to be threatened by it. I don't think most people care ultimately about exactly what the technology is that is getting the programming from somebody sitting in front of a microphone to them. As long as they can access it easily, great, it's radio. And so everything I think that is going on now in the public media podcasting space, in the larger podcasting universe outside of that, it's all radio and it's all still magic. The idea that if I've got something to say, I can sit down now without even needing a studio somewhere. I can sit down and I can create this content now and you can create this content and anybody can create this content and put it out there and still have that connection of my voice speaking directly to one person who is listening is still magical, I think. And I want to see the industry pick up on that more, particularly on the broadcast side of it, because I think they've kind of drifted away from that in recent years, and it worries me. I don't know that we're going to be broadcasting on analog FM radio if I'm back here talking to the next generation of students when you guys are alumni in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. There's going to be a sunset to it at some point. But the content still matters. The content can still be magical if you treat it as magical, if you treat it as this opportunity to make this connection and to experiment with it. That's the other great thing right now, too, is that as some of the values of some of these facilities have declined, we're free all of a sudden now to try to do new things with them. If we know the old way isn't going to work, if we know that the little AM radio station sitting by itself isn't going to be able to do the stuff that it was doing 15, 20, 50 years ago, why not try something new? That's where FM radio got its start, was that these facilities were there. The FCC all of a sudden said in the late 1960s, you can't just simulcast your AM anymore, you've got to do something different. Let's experiment with it. There are formats that are being tried that are speaking to new communities that are out there, not just to individual small local communities, but to larger interest groups via streaming. Some of the big corporate owners now uh, have been taking an interest. For instance, uh, Entercom has a big push right now uh, with a format that uh, they call uh, Q, which is dedicated to LGBTQ audiences. You never would have seen that 10 years ago. You know, are they doing it because they think there's money to be made in it? Yeah, they're a business. It's what they do. But are they also doing it because they see, hey, here's a chance to use some of these technologies that are out there, to put this on HD radio subchannels, for instance, uh, and make some use of these in ways that are not just playing automated music. And again, trying to create a community, to speak to a community, to be a community. So there is still some magic to be had out there. I think one of the big questions that, that I wonder about, um, you know, as we're all talking, is how anybody is going to be listening and, and how you capture their attention in this cacophony out there. And I want to kind of come back to some of what has made this magical for me uh, and some of the reasons why I still get a thrill doing what I'm doing. 
So before I started working at WBZ, uh, when I was a student at Brandeis one summer, I was working as a tour guide at the Old North Church. It was a cool summer job. I got to show the tour groups the steeple and tell them the real story of Paul Revere, which again, like KDKA, is not the one that you hear from the history books. Longfellow was as deceptive as the, uh, as the Westinghouse publicity department. There's a, there's a whole different story that really went down. At, uh, Kind of, guy named Dawes. You read about the guy. Anyway. So the north end of Boston in the early 1990s was not the kind of gentrified place that it is now. And when I would get my lunch break, I said, okay, where do I go for lunch? And the, the, the sexton of the church who supervised the tour guides, crusty old guy who had been in the neighborhood forever, he said, oh, let me show you. Go around the corner. And there was this little unmarked storefront that had this tiny little lunch counter. And you walked in and... You sat down at the lunch counter, and there were you know, like six different sandwiches on the menu, and nothing cost more than two bucks, and everything had a 60-year-old layer of, of grease over it. But it was where all the, all the local guys went and hung out and had their lunch. But what I remember particularly about it was that up on the counter, above the grill, was this old, probably 1950s-era Bakelite radio. And it was always tuned to WBZ. Like I said, that was the voice of Boston, right? And I would go over there for lunch, and noontime would come around, and everybody would just kind of stop what they were doing. And they would listen to the noon newscast on WBZ. And you think about it, here is one person sitting in a room somewhere in Boston who is talking every day to the people sitting at that lunch counter, to the people sitting in their cars in traffic on 128, uh, to hundreds of thousands of people all over New England getting to tell them what's going on and here is what's happening right now and here are the things you need to know right at this minute. It was magical. And the idea, you know, a year later that I would be sitting in that studio writing that newscast for the person delivering it, I still find that magical. And the idea now that when I drag myself out of bed if I'm filling in for our morning edition host and I go on the air at 5 in the morning and I hit that mic button and I know that all over the greater Rochester area and now whoever's streaming us wherever else they are, that I'm telling them what's going on. And I get to have that, that ability to say, hey, listen to this for a minute. Let me tell you what you need to know and get your day going for you. There is still magic to that. And I hope as much as things are changing and as different as the radio industry is going to be from the industry that I grew up in and the industry that... that you guys grew up in and love because you're still here and you're still doing this and coming back and helping. I hope in whatever way that you can find that magic that you let yourselves get captured by it and that whatever else happens that you don't let yourself get too caught up in, in you know, here's, here's what the debt picture is and here's what the stock price is today. Find the magic in it. So that was a little of what I had to say to the students uh, and to the alumni who were there as well, too. Uh, but what I really wanted to do for the podcast this week was to hear from the students themselves. And, of course, as I mentioned, this is more than just a student radio station club, as it is in a lot of schools. This is a full-fledged business. Uh, and one of the interesting positions that they have here at the Cornell Media Guild uh, is an actual alumni relations director because they believe in uh, in keeping close tabs on what their alumni are up to and on learning from and hopefully getting some career advice from them. 
So before even talking to the students about what it's like doing radio now, I wanted to hear a little bit about organizing the symposium. Talk to Helena Kim, who is the outgoing alumni relations director and was heavily involved in planning this year's symposium. This is what, the 14th year now that you've brought this all together? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because this is my first um, full year um, at, you know, Cornell Media Guild, WVBR. You had, what, a a couple dozen alumni here today? along with students, all sharing where we all are in this business right now. Yeah, it was really, first of all, the board of directors who are all alumni who, like, choose to work with us closely, like, they don't have to do that. To have a group of people who have gone through the same things as you have, basically, and have added years of experience in the real world where, like, you're not and you can't really envision it it's just like it's so useful and helpful that they like come back basically every year to be a part of this and tell us how to improve WVBR and improve as people honestly yeah, that was one of the interesting things it wasn't really you know sitting here today it was sort of about radio yeah. but it was also just sort of about development for you guys so I'll ask you are you into this more because it's radio or are you into this more because it's a business what what, what got you involved I um I actually got involved um, for the radio. Um, I had heard about Cornell Media Guild, and I was like, whoa, there's a radio station on, uh, like, in my school? That's crazy, because I, I was second semester sophomore when I had <laughs> found out that a radio station exists here. So, yeah. Um, and then so I originally got involved through that, and then um, Kelly, who was the vice president um, at the time, she convinced me to run for a position. Um, and so that's how I got involved through that. And then I this semester, it's been a lot of planning for symposium. And then I also plan the winter externship where students go to New York City and visit alumni in various like workplaces. Um, so that's like, it takes up a lot of time. So I unfortunately haven't had the experience to go on air as a DJ um, and actually be involved with the radio <laughs> stuff. Like some of the things people were talking about today, I just didn't, I had no idea what they were talking about because I'm, I feel like even though I'm a part of this organization, it's like sometimes you're so removed, like management and radio. So next year I am, I have decided to not do this position anymore, even though it was great. It was a great experience. Um, and I'm going to train to be a DJ because I really want to get involved in the radio side because that's what, you know, I came here to do in the first place and I sort of got swept away. It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, this is one of the questions that I think people who are sort of in my generation or above wonder about. So there is still an appeal for people in their twenties and younger to want to go do this. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, Everyone keeps talking about how, like, radio is not the same as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago even, Um, which I agree with to a certain extent. Like, I definitely – I know that people don't have standalone radios anymore, you know? (laughs) Like, you're right. Um, And I, like, only listen to radio in my car but in and in my parents' cars and – but – I did, and I know, like, everyone back home, at least growing up, we had, like, certain radio stations that we all listened to. So it, it did play a big part of my life, and, and when I found out about that here, and I had other friends at other colleges um, in the same year as me who were doing the radio stations at their schools. So I was like, yeah, that's, like, I want to go back to that. I want to be in that. 
Um, so I definitely think there is a place for radio um, in our generation. Yeah. That's good to hear. We should mention, I mean, there are some really potent alumni that you guys have. You know, Keith Olbermann gave the money for the studios and, and put his father's name on it. You know, we had just here today Peter Shacknow from CNBC and uh, Warren Kurtzman from Coleman Research. And, uh, you know, there are, you, you're, you're lucky here. We totally are. We're so blessed. Cornell produces some amazing alumni who go to amazing places. And it's so crazy that, you know, we're so connected to them as students that we can just send them an email because we have their emails in the database and we can just shoot them an email and be like, hey, I was wondering if we could talk about X, Y, and Z for a minute, you know? And they're so, like, every, most of the alumni that we talk with, um, are so responsive and just so willing to help us and have conversations that I don't think it, it's a unique experience that I don't think happens anywhere else. And, you know, like you said, symposium is the prime example of that. Is this, and I know it's early as a junior, but is this a field that you want to go into, do you think? Um, I definitely want to go into media, um, but probably like media production and behind the scenes stuff. But I like, knew that I wanted to do that, like, partly because of my position as Alumni Relations Director at WBBR, because it's a lot of coordinating and communicating and, and scheduling, which um, is, you know, a useful skill in, in any industry. You look good on the resume. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, but what about the radio station itself? It's an actual radio station here with programming and sales and promotion and students heavily involved in all of that. And I had the opportunity to talk to three of the students who serve on the executive, outgoing general manager, incoming general manager, and incoming PD. I'm TJ Hurd. I'm the outgoing general manager of WVBR. My name is Christopher Morales. I'm the outgoing news director, incoming general manager of WVBR. I'm Austin Jones. I am the outgoing music director of WVBR and the incoming program director. All right. First question that I think a lot of my listeners are probably wondering it's 2019, there are still college students who are interested in doing radio. Talk to me about what got you guys into this. Uh, I can start. This is TJ. Um, for me, primarily, it was a love of music and a love of sharing music. Um, when I was growing up, I had a group of friends who we just were always um, talking about music and, and sharing it with each other. And then when we all went to different colleges, we all ended up joining our like respective radio stations at those colleges. Um, and it kind of just, you know, continued that community for me. So that's how I first got involved. I've always had an interest in radio since high school when I had my own bilingual music variety show. And then I started in college and I learned about um, journalism radio, particularly because the new format that I was coming into, it wasn't my favorite music, but I still wanted to be on air. And the easiest way was audio production, doing that type of journalism. And um, from there, I just picked up. I loved learning new skills when it was audio editing. I loved interviewing people. And sooner rather than later, I was caught up in the whole radio scene. Um, I actually kind of, I don't want to say I got tricked into it, but I got pulled into it. Um, I was at Club Fair, and um, uh, Kelly, uh, one of our alumni now, um, she said to me, do you like music? And so naturally I had to say yes, and then they gave me one of their quarter cards and said, like, come check us out, blah, blah, blah. And I just went on a whim. I was looking for clubs my freshman year, and it turned out to be this amazing thing. I hadn't shown any particular interest in radio, um, but after seeing what CMG was, I thought it was one of the coolest things in the world and stuck with it. 
So you guys heard me talking about the magic that I felt radio was for me. What does what does radio itself mean? Is there still is there still that feeling to it? Um, I think so. Absolutely. I think there's something really really wonderful about the like the purely auditory aspect of it because obviously there are other mediums where you can watch someone saying things but there's something so so cool to me about just hearing a voice um telling you about things um telling you what song you just heard what you're gonna hear giving you the news and having like having only the auditory sensory aspect of it um there's something really charming about that i think I think one thing is that during your presentation, you pointed at the idea of what the beginning of radio was and what it is today, where a lot of on-air programming is perhaps pre-recorded or on-demand. There's a lot of convergence in this new media space, and I think radio, from a local perspective for who we are, is that we value ourselves and that we can, co- we can still communicate with our community. We can say we are here, we are here for you, but we're also trying out these new solutions, trying to figure out the new media space, trying to figure out new digital solutions. So radio will never be left behind. It's more of what more can we add to it, and that's the new magic that's being created today. Are your peers listening? Do you get a sense that there are still people tuning in 93.5 on campus here? On campus? It's, it's Yeah, it's it's tricky. Um, like, as so, um, like, people people don't like think of like the first thing when they're like trying to listen to something like oh I'll put on VBR um but I found like when we tell people about it like when we have good friends like hey you should check out VBR like they know they like our like alternative music format they're like wow this is really cool um and so the getting the the college audience is, is difficult um but we still really hold our Ithaca community audience like really near and dear um and for me, like the magic you were talking about is getting to interact with them. I do the morning show, and I have people call in all the time. Um, so that's really the magic for me is interacting with with that community. That moment when you know, hey, people are actually awake and listening to. Me. Yeah, that's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So Austin, how do you how do you program that then? Um, so a lot of our current library is actually um, to an extent built off of the back of our previous library because we've. Our previous genre was classic rock, but we were very vague about that, so there are a lot of songs in there that actually ended up being alternative, and that became um, sort of the base for what the station was. And over time, we've been adding songs, a lot of songs over the past um, four to five years, and then more recently, we've been focusing on new, more modern songs. It's difficult because alternative is a very vague genre. What that means to one person is completely different than what it means to someone else. Um, And we try to focus on more guitar-driven alternative music, even though a lot of what is considered alternative now is much more poppy, and there are even arguments as to whether like alt-rock is still even really a thing that people make in the mainstream at the very least. So it's, it's difficult, but it, a lot of it is the feedback that I get from my amazing music team, um, the, the old program director, um, stuff like just a lot of communication, I guess, and listening. And you have an in-house record label. Yes, um, Electric Buffalo Records, um, which I do a lot of sound engineering for, actually that and um, uh, WVBR's live show Tuesdays with the band. Um, Electric Buffalo Records is maybe one of my favorite things about the Media Guild and one of the big reasons that I stuck around because the idea of this student-run record label that was less about a profit and more about finding artists and finding opportunities to, to record and make music was one of the coolest things in the world to me, and so to be a part of that is awesome. No, I mean, I personally am not fully involved with EBR, but from what I've observed is that 
like Austin had said, it's more on the focus of the music than rather we are trying to make profits off of people. Um, the community that we are in does value having local artists, local performers, and this is not even if they're an alternative or if they're an a cappella group or if they're into rap and hip-hop. It's a matter of creating art with other people, and we have the pleasure that we can bring them into our studios, we can record their music, we can help them distribute it, and the most uh, encouraging thing that we see at the end of the year is we can host a showcase. We will publicly invite everyone to come check out who our artists are and we can easily draw somewhere between 100 200 people to these concerts to these showcases again all for the art of music that's awesome now tj i'm going to ask you first because you're graduating this year is this a career path for you or is this just something to have fun doing while you're college um what i think vbr has taught me is because being the general manager you have to you know, run everything, you have to leave an organization. And I think it's taught me that, one, I can do that. That's something, like, I can potentially do in my career. And two, if I want to do something with music, like, it's totally possible. Um, So I don't know yet if it's going to be specifically radio, but I really like, um, you know, enjoying media, um, sharing music, stuff like that. Um, and the fact that I that I think I have the experience to, you know, manage a business um, has been huge. So you have this opportunity that not a lot of college students do to have the symposium and, and to have alumni come back and talk about what it's like out there for them. Do you do you feel when I ask all three, do you feel confident if you wanted to go into this that there's there's going to be a business there for you to head into? I mean, we 100% have the connections and, and the alumni support behind us, um, and they do everything from, like, uh, radio to TV to print media and, like, tech companies and all that thing, all that kind of stuff. So, like, I think there's 100% the, the opportunities are, are open. So what about you guys? You've got a little bit of time yet before you've got to figure this out, but what, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, as the incoming general manager, one of my campaign points when I gave a speech to, to the Cornell Media Guild, to our members, is I said, I am passionate about the media industry and particularly media entrepreneurship. You know, I do a lot of journalism, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be a journalist. And we had a, a panel earlier today that talked about all the different jobs in the news industry that it doesn't have to just be a reporter. Um, so with that... This experience, I'm going to look forward to it in the next year to learn how to manage a radio station, to just keep track of not only what we're doing, but keep an even more keen eye on how is the industry and the market changing around us. In terms of do I feel confident that the alumni can arrange for something in the future, I'm not going to say yes or no because, uh, first of all, I value the alumni, and, and they're great people. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I think it's very, very possible. Rather, I value them the most for mentorship. You know, everyone was echoing the fact that we need to be intellectually curious, curious that we need to continue learning, want to continue learning, and I've had the blessed opportunity for the past year and a half to have different conversations with anyone and everyone from every different industry, and I'm, I expect to continue to do that not only for the next year, but for the next few years of my life as well. Awesome. Um, so I'm, my, my major is actually film, so um, <laughs> I'm actually in a, a visual medium, but I certainly do... I've certainly considered um, doing more radio stuff outside of, of college. I'd certainly love to if I get the opportunity. Um, I think that... 
because because of now with like the existence of the internet and being able to be connected to so many people and specifically with I think like the the growth of more like niche industries even things like I think radio will always be around in one form or another and I think it'll always at least to some extent be a, a viable career path um, and particularly for people in CMG because of our amazing uh, depth of alumni and what they bring to the table. It really is a special thing. I, I had fun being with you guys today. What uh, what do you know going out of here this afternoon that you didn't know coming in this morning? Um, I learned a lot about um, running a business. Is It's less about um, knowing things going into it but being able to learn from your mistakes. Um, it's a lot about... Um, Interactions with people is something that um, was a message that was really hammered home today. Um, the concept of you need other people to do things. You need to know how to interact with them. You need to know how to present yourself professionally, but also as a human. Um, and it goes, I guess, being being good at interacting with people and being able to make connections and find people who really get you and support you um, goes a really long way in terms of whatever career you want to I think the most important piece of tangible advice I learned today was to document everything because even though we are students, we perhaps don't have the full professional uh, experience to see the fact that there are processes on how we vet new hires on taking notes on what is it we're going to take of next steps after leaving meetings. We rely on our intuition and on our memories, but if things fall through the cracks, very quickly this can turn into an issue and perhaps even a crisis for the company. So we need to make sure that we just keep track of what everyone is doing. And, you know, I'm very passionate about media entrepreneurship, and I love doing everything on my own, but I need to be able to make sure that I'm putting it down on paper so that if anybody asks, nobody is repeating the same tasks and nobody is skipping over anything. And that's an unusual thing. I mean, when I did radio in college, we were a student club. We got a little bit of money from student government, but otherwise we didn't have to deal with running a business. You guys are a business. You have a commercially licensed FM radio station. You're dealing with a tower site and property taxes and all of that. I mean, that's that's unusual. Yeah, no, certainly. It's all new for every one of us who come to the, the radio station for the first time, but as reiterated before, we have great confidence in our alumni and our board of directors. They have gone through the similar, if not the same, experiences that we are going through today. So we heavily rely on them for guidance, and they're always available for us 24-7 whenever we need them. So everyone is going forward in the right direction with all the support that we need. And, TJ, you're headed out of here soon as, as an alumnus. What, what did you learn from being the general manager of this operation? So much. Um, to, let's let's see if I can narrow it down. I gave so um, when we were transitioning, um, we had all the seniors give a talk of like, you know, what you wish, or basically advice and what what I wish I knew when um, I first joined WVBR. Um, and I think the the one that I found the most important is just um, kind of real, like having everyone on our team realize the responsibility that they have um, because. You know, some people join, they're like, oh, it's a club, I can do this and that. Um, if I don't do my job, someone will cover it. But the thing is, we're all students, um, and we all have a ton of things going on. Um, so it really hit home to me, like, you know, for each position, for each, like, job in the guild to keep moving forward, like, people need to take responsibility for what they do and, and make the change that they want to see happen. Um, so that was the biggest one for me. And for people who want to just listen to what you're doing here, where do they find you? 
Uh, you can find us if you're in the Ithaca area on 93.5 WVBR-FM um, and otherwise on WVBR.com. We have an online stream. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. My thanks to everybody from WVBR and the Cornell Media Guild for taking the time to talk with me and to share some of their thoughts about where we are today in radio. Uh, you can find some pictures of WVBR, of course, at fivebush.com. We'll put a link on the podcast page today so you can see the facility that they have here, uh, including a brand-new tower. There's a brand-new Nautel transmitter up at the site, too, and that was uh, a project for the students and figuring out how to make all that happen as well. So an interesting time here in Ithaca, interesting times ahead as well at the NAB show. Again, I will uh, be in Las Vegas, of course, this year for NAB and for the Public Radio Engineering Conference and PBS TechCon ahead of that. Hope to see many of you there, hope to talk to many of you for the podcast, and of course hope to see you on Sunday night at the uh, pre-NAB kickoff party at the Waldorf Astoria. Uh, sign up at the Broadcasting Club page. There is a link from Fibush.com. Thanks for being with us from Ithaca, New York. It is the Top of the Tower podcast. I'm Scott Fibush. The Top of the Tower podcast is brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing.